Well, it is wonderful to be here again, and um, we have had a, a wonderful weekend, so thank you. Who do you support, by the way? Oh, zero, yeah. And, um, <clears throat> and uh, it, it is great. We uh, had a, a day with the elders. I had a day with the elders on Friday, and yesterday took a whole bunch of leaders um, away uh, for the day yesterday in a nice hotel in North Berwick. Who's been to North Berwick? Hands up. Well, a lot of you have been. Absolutely amazing, wonderful place. And they stuck me in the morning and Liz in the afternoon to do some teaching sessions um, in front of the most amazing panoramic view of the coast behind us. Um, And so I could feel people from time to time being distracted um, from when we were talking, which is a bit sad. I don't think there's not really much to distract you here this morning, so... Um, but it has been really wonderful. So thank you for having us, and so great to be here today with you um, as well. And I appreciate the fact that there are people here from other churches. I know there are people here from West Lothian, the new church plant that's come out of Kings. And so what I want to share uh, this morning, um, I'm hoping and trusting, will be very, very relevant to you. I also happen to know there's, at least I think there are people from Inverness here this morning. Way from here. And uh, a few more down here. And... Uh, uh, and, and actually, what I want to share this morning, I think, will be relevant to you as well. And, and to King's Church, uh, having started now with two meetings, one in the morning, one in the evening, as I share what I want to share with you, I think you'll, you'll understand how it's applicable not only to here, to what we're doing here in the morning, but also in the evening. So if you're here and you'll be there tonight, perhaps you'd like to pass on the words to them um, or get some of the folk in the six o'clock to listen as well to what we have to share. So if you have your Bibles with you, will come up behind me, another distraction on the screen, um, and I want to read from Luke chapter 5, um, I'm going to read just the first 11 verses, and we thank you Heavenly Father that you are here with us today, and that you have come to speak to us already through our worship, you've been sharing your heart with us, and I pray Lord through this, uh, uh, this, this word that you will come and speak right into the hearts of individuals I pray there'll be people here this morning who will hear a word from you about their situation and find hope in you. And I pray also that, and especially that for King's Church and for the the guys here from West Lothian and from Inverness, you will speak prophetically through this passage to us as church communities and give us corporate instruction as to what you have on your heart for us to reach the cities and the towns and the villages that we represent here this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. On one occasion, while the crowd were pressing in on him, that's Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. And their nets were breaking, and they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats. So they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, 
Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. There is just so much going on in this passage of scripture. There are so many things that we could draw out for us. There's so much to learn. But I want to step back from the picture, first of all, before we go into three areas from this passage that I think are applicable to us, and to step back for a moment and see that there's an overarching message going on here as well. I don't know if you know this, but often in the Gospels, when there's a thing to be understood, a passage of Scripture to, be, to, be, uh, to get revelation from, there are these details, but there's often, often one overarching message. And it's a, a message, if you're a Christian here today, the message uh, for you from this passage of Scripture is very, very relevant. The message fundamentally is this. Jesus steps into the lives of his disciples. And the purpose is that he might step into their stories. But the purpose beyond that is that they themselves might step into his story. You see, it's an amazing thing that when you become a Christian, you you get the picture that Jesus has broken into my life. I was going one direction, Jesus came, changed me, turned me around, and now I'm going in another direction. It's wonderful to know that he has come in and he's broken into my life through his mercy and through his grace. As we were thinking in our worship of the way that he's come to change broken lives, messed up lives, lives that were going nowhere, he's come. And even people who have lives that have got it all together, he comes and breaks into our lives But the purpose is that we shouldn't stay there. It's a story about transformation. It's a story about a Jesus who breaks into my life, but actually his purpose is to not just break into my life and save me from my sins, but to turn me around, point me in the opposite direction. And increasingly I realize that the reason he saved me was not only for myself, But he had a plan and purpose for me and all my brothers and sisters. And it's less and less about me and more and more about him. So when you first get saved, it really is about you. And it's, it's important we understand for all of us who are Christians that that's only the beginning of the story and not the end. And grateful though we are that he's brought it broken into my life the testimony becomes less and less about me and more and more about him. It's not my story, it's his story. He saved me from my mess of my story to liberate me so that I can live for him and for his glory. And you see it here in this passage of scripture with Simon. Look at verse five with me. And it says, and Simon answered, "Uh, Master, we toiled all night. It's kind of like the first thing that Simon declares here is, He's a little bit cynical. He kind of admires Jesus. He's a little bit kind of um, open to him. He's watching him. But fundamentally, he's kind of, okay, I'm just looking and observing. 
not really kind of there. And then this miracle happens, and we get to verse 8, and it says, But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, and he said to me, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. It's kind of, and if you're very clever, you're looking at the phrases, it begins with master, and it finishes with Lord. In other words, he's seen, he's been intrigued, he's then had his life turned round by a miracle, and now he's falling at the feet of Jesus And he's not just saying, Master, you're one of those prophets. He's now saying, oh my goodness, you're the Son of God. You are the Lord. He's almost saying, and what can I do for you rather than what can you do for me? Christianity is not consumerism. We're not in this for what we can get out of it, although what we get out of it is mind-boggling. But actually, increasingly, it's not what we can get out of it, but so grateful are we for what we've already received, it drives us to want to really live for him and not for ourselves anymore. And then verse 10, he's now, he's now saying, hearing Jesus speak to him that he will become one who will catch fish, and verse 11 says, and they left everything to follow him. So even here, you get this picture of slight cynicism, a breaking of God. Oh, you are the Lord of my life. I am going to live for you. I'm going to leave everything behind. That needs to be the testimony of those of us who are followers of Jesus, that we increasingly become those who don't live for ourselves, but we really do live for him and him alone. You know, I remember when I first got saved... um, it was in a time of really amazing time when lots of young people were coming to Christ. And, and it's kind of like if someone had what I would call like a really, really juicy testimony, those were the ones that would get up to give their testimonies as often as they could. <clears throat> their testimonies were a lot about what they were like before they were in Christ. All the different things they've done, all the different backgrounds. And, and the more juicier the background was about them, the more kind of we thought the powerful testimony would be. You know the kind of thing we, we mean. You know, I was a, a drug addict, you know, I had an alcohol problem and was messing around with women. And then when I was five, um, <laughs> the, the, uh, the police would come round and knock and we all go, oh my goodness, this is absolutely amazing. And if you listen carefully, it's then about what Jesus has done for me. And if we're not careful, it goes on to be speaking even more about me and who I am now and what my ministry is. And there's something fundamentally wrong in a lot of Western Christianity if that's how we begin and how we end. It really is that God has broken into your story because he has a story and it's much better than yours. And we all get to partake in his story. Can I ask you this morning, at what part of the journey of this story are you personally in? The reason I'm laboring this is because I just meet so many Christians who are so self-absorbed still. It really is about all, all me and what can he do for me and what can he do for my family. And, and of course, in the end, we get terribly disappointed because God doesn't run around trying to keep you happy. I came into Christianity to make me happy. Where's that in the Bible? It's just, that's not why, you just got saved, you know. You were dead. And now you're alive in Christ. He did it all. It was all him. 
And it needs to be more and more about him. And I, I got this passion to believe that God wants to catch up Christians, particularly in the Western world, and make it less and less about us and more and more about him. And I'd love it this morning, even if we could stop here right now, which we won't, but if we could, and, and just really pray for one another, make appeals and things, because this is essential for the future of the church in Scotland. Because unless a bunch of Christians understand this principle, we're never going to reach this world. Because we're still going to be concerned about, but if I say that, what will they think about me? It's not about you. And so we get fearful and we kind of, the word needs to get out because we're so overwhelmed. Yes, amen, I got saved, but this Jesus is still loving me and pouring his spirit out upon me and using me for his glory and has a purpose and a plan which is wonderful and glorious. What is the purpose? What is the plan? How can I glorify you? How can I live for you? I am going to pray. Lord, I do pray even now for any of us who are still into this for what we can get out of it. Would you lovingly come to us and help us, Lord, to turn the page and understand, just like Simon understood in this passage, that at the end of the day, it was amazing you broke into his rather mundane life. But in the end, he was a man who had laid down his life for you because of his love for you. So overwhelmed was he that he got to live for your story. May many of us do the same in Jesus' name. Amen. There are three areas in this passage I just want to underline for us this morning. The first is the challenge of faith. When I read this scripture, I mean, I could get 35 things out of this, but we'll limit ourselves to three. Um, And the first thing that hits me is the whole challenge of faith. So verse 4, And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. This is an amazing um, lesson for us all. You see, as far as Simon, who was about to be called Peter, was concerned, and the other Others who would follow Jesus, uh, uh, James and John and others who were all fishermen, uh, they, they knew about fishing and Jesus has just told them something which they think is absolutely crazy. What they have been told by Jesus is madness. It does not work. It is not going to work. We have toiled all night. We know about this lake. There is not a bit of this lake that we do not know and where you're telling us to go. We've already tried all night. We're exhausted and there are no fish there. And Jesus is saying, go back out into the place where you fished all night and put down your nets. They know this is madness. It's not going to happen. There are no fish. We know. Jesus, what is your occupation? Carpenter, okay, stick to carpentry. We are professionals. We do this for a living. We understand all about fishing. And I can just imagine as they got into their boats, and I don't know what they did. I I know nothing about sailing. It's not my preoccupation either, but they they put up their, 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 what do they call them? Sails. They put up the sails, and probably because it was kind of calm, they would have rowed, so they're all kind of rowing out there. Some are putting the sails up, some are rowing, going out. And I just, 
I can't help but imagine what the conversations they would have been having with, why are we doing this? We've only just come back in, and now we're going out again. And whose idea was this? Well, that carpenter. <laughs> Jesus, you know, okay. Well, he seems to be quite a nice guy, so I, I guess to make him happy or keep him happy, we'll just keep rowing out, and we'll kind of pretend. And I suppose when we get there to keep him happy... We'll let down the next bit. We all know, don't we? This is just, why, why are we here? This is just a waste of time and energy as they go out again. And then you see this statement by, by Simon. We toiled all night. We took nothing. It's madness. It's crazy. Look at this phrase. But at your word... I will let down the nets. And other translations had, because you say so, I will do this. And very quickly, Peter, um, he had become by this time a bit intrigued about Jesus. The truth be known, he's, he wasn't fishing as much as he used to. He was starting to hang around Jesus quite a bit. If you read in John's Gospel 1 and 2, you, you realise Peter was at Cana. And so he saw Jesus turn the water into wine. And then in the chapter before chapter 5, his mother-in-law is sick and Jesus comes to the house and, and heals miraculously his mother-in-law. And if he can heal my mother-in-law, then that, that is pretty miraculous. So it's kind of like he's intrigued, he's involved, he's getting caught up in the story that's beyond himself. And I think there was something in Peter that thought, you know, I saw the water turn into wine. I saw that my mother-in-law got miraculously healed. It's just, I suppose, maybe possible, but, but, but probably not. But because you said so, I've got nothing to lose. And because you said so, I'm, I'm going to do this. And the basis of faith is about the one who promises and the things that he says. And the promise is, let down your nets. You will have a catch of fish. So as far as Simon Peter's concerned, the only way he can find out is to actually make a step of faith. Because you said, promises are really important, aren't they? But the one who promises them is more important than the promises. So Jesus said, I will build my church. The issue is, can he and will he? Yes, I think he can because he's alive from the dead, sat down at the right hand of the Father, a name above all names. I reckon he can build his church. I reckon if he says, put down the net, we can have a massive catch of fish. Same kind of principle is, not only, yes, I believe he can, but I think he will. Because he's, God, he's a God who's faithful. And he has the power to keep the promises and he's faithful to the promises and he doesn't forget the promises. So if I was to say to you this morning, I promise that by the end of this meeting I will do such and such. Some of you very wisely would look at me and say, hang on a minute, I don't know whether you've got the ability to do that and I certainly don't know whether you will remain faithful to what you promise. You look like the sort of guy that might change his mind and you've got grey hair you're older these days, and that means you might not even remember the thing you promised <laughs> by the time we get to the end. And you'd have all sorts of, you'd look at my frame, and you'd look at the frailties and the weaknesses, and oh, I'm not so sure. I think that's a wise thing 
to respond. But when we look at Jesus, like Simon Peter's now looking at Jesus, and he's thinking of the one who made the promise rather than just the promise, faith kicks in, yes, because of the promise, but because of the one who made the promise. Can he, will he? So if he says, go and fish again and let down a net, King's Church in Edinburgh, West Lothian, guys in Inverness, and you think, we've toiled, we've been here forever. We just don't know whether these things can come true or not. You have to remind yourself about the one who said them. Faith kicks in because the promises of God. What has God said in his word about his church? Everything is going to come to pass. Don't say Inverness is too tough or to say Edinburgh is just too difficult. You should wait till you get to West Lothian. I mean, <laughs> you know, wherever you go, it kind of gets, it peters out, basically. No, 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 no. When Christians say it's such a hard place, and listen, I were in Berlin a couple of weekends ago where we're planting a church in Berlin, atheistic capital of Europe, and proud of it. I mean, not just we don't believe there's a God, we studied this stuff. We, are, we don't need Christianity here, and you go, Phew. These are big giants in the land. Then you remember the promises. Then you remember the one who made the promises. And you kind of go, Berlin, Berlin. It's God we're speaking about. And the promises that he's made concerning his church, wherever it is or ever how tough it is. Very quickly, another little thing about faith, still on the subject of the challenge of faith, is this. When nothing is happening when there is a promise and there is a delay, and in the delay there doesn't seem to be anything happening, what happens in that delay is absolutely key for you personally and for you as churches. In other words, if Jesus promises something and there's a delay, what happens in that delay is crucial. I actually think it takes faith to keep believing God when nothing's happening more than when it's all just bouncing off the walls and everything's happening. It's still faith to believe God when there is a delay when a promise is given. And you might feel like these disciples. When the promises come, sadly, some of us are getting a little bit cynical. Do you remember Abraham and Sarah? You know, just like, when's this baby coming? Oh, yeah, and they all laughed cynically. Now you're telling us I'm 100 and she's 99, that we're going to have a child. We've toiled all night and still we haven't caught anything. Some of us feel like that. We've, we've evangelized week in, week out, months in, month out. And where is this catch that is promised? Jesus, you're asking us to evangelize again in the same place? We start rowing out. The elders have said, let's do another alpha course. Where are we going to do it? In the same building as we did last time. Who's going to be the same speaker as last time? Are we going to have any gimmicks? No gimmicks. Just the same plain old alpha course. And here's the alpha team all going back again. And they're saying to one another, do these elders have any idea that we toiled all night the last time? We had three and a half people converted the last time we did this. And it was really hard work. And we put hours and hours of energy in. And here comes the word. I think we should do Alpha again. I think we should go back again. I think we should ask God to give us more people to come again. But we did it last time. I think a lot of issues facing the church in Scotland has to do with 
faithfulness and keeping going and keeping fishing all night again. And somehow, at some point, the favor of God will come to people such as that. Same thing, same place, week in, week out. That's what faith is. And while we're waiting, incidentally, for the big catch to come, because that's where we're going to land, there are things to be done. These guys were mending their nets. They were washing their nets, which meant they were getting their nets ready to go again. Maybe we've got some nets that need mending. Because if we don't mend them, when the fish come in, they'll go out again. And it makes me think as a a local church leader, you know, are we ready for a massive catch? For instance, uh, is our heart attitude right to those people who are going to be part of this massive catch? Because guess what? A lot of them are not going to look like a lot of us are looking like now. Are we ready for such people? Types of people, diversity. It's going to be very inconvenient and time-consuming. People are going to come in, as we were singing earlier, with a lot of mess and baggage. Maybe we're just quite not ready yet. I know some guys who felt God called them to plant a church in Auckland in New Zealand, and it was the toughest part of Auckland that you could find. And when they went there, a guy went there with his family, and there were a few friends, and uh, his testimony was this. He said, we, we prayed over this church plant. We, we, we poured oil on it. We fasted over it. We commanded it to grow. Uh, and it was still my family and a few friends. And two and a half, three years later... No one had been converted and we realised it really is tough and we just kept ploughing away and we were just about to give up and a lady came and joined our church. She was an alcoholic and she gave her life to Jesus and then continued to be an alcoholic. And for the next year, we struggled with this dear lady and she would come and go. She would go into a pub on her way to the meeting so we wouldn't see her. We tried everything we could to help her and in just one day, after about a year, she just made it. Something happened. She got freed at the end and she understood Jesus and got baptized in water and filled with the Spirit. And they said, well, thank you, Lord. We're now planting a church with this one lady after three years. And then the next Sunday, literally, she turned up with 20 more friends just like her. (laughs) And these guys said, what on earth is going on? And the Lord said, I gave you one to see how you would do. And now you're ready for the next 20. That church is now a 1,000 people today, full of people not like the original people that went and planted the church. I just want to really just mention this, that, that though we might not yet be getting a great catch of fish, we don't go passive. We think about it. We get ourselves ready. What's my heart attitude going to be like if the fish all came in? If the fish came in, would they get lost? Let's look at our wineskins. Everybody needs to get involved, not just a few people. We need to get ready for that which will come. Second point, much quicker, is this. Faith is followed by action. It's amazing, isn't it? Peter says this very simple phrase, I will let down my nets. Verse 6 says, and when they had done this, there had to be some action. Here's the promise. Okay, we toiled all night, but because you said so, there's the faith. And then the next thing from faith is real action. 
They had to put down their nets. They were, it was faithful to go out into the deep because faith requires action always. Jesus said to the woman who touched him, your faith has made you well. To the guys who let the person down uh, while he was uh, preaching from the roof, he commended them for their faith. The woman touched him, others, you know, just your faith has made you well. I mean, maybe you're not like me, but I look at this passage where this is an amazing miracle and I think to myself, couldn't Jesus just make the fish jump into the boat? I mean, sorry, am I the only one that thinks like that? I mean, just like, if this is going to be a miracle, what's the nets going down got to do with it? Why do you need people to row out? I mean, why not just, you know, just Jesus could just command the word and all the fish in Galilee could just pop out onto the deck. I mean, that would have been pretty miraculous. Everybody would have seen it. So what's going on here? God in his sovereignty knows that faith requires you and me to do something. If you believe God has said something and made a promise, then it is time for action. It's time for us to do something. It reminds me of that crowd of men and women who are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. And they were kind of like you and me. I don't think they were very different. I think maybe the only difference is they were commended for their faith because of the things that they did. I think we're hoping God will commend us for our faith. Full stop. He will commend us for our faith. Your faith has made you well, but... He wants that faith to turn into action. Some of us are waiting for someone else to do something where actually we've got faith. You need to start doing things. King's Church, you know, it's great that you've gone to two meetings. I mean, you can see the significance in a moment when the catch comes in. We need at least two meetings. Two boats. One boat is not enough. And so you're commended for for not only thinking it would be great for this church to grow. What can we do? Because an evening meeting is all about this church community reaching more people and growing. It's very inconvenient. It's very time-consuming. You look a lot more tired this, today than you did this time last year, a lot of you. I have noticed over the weekend. Part of it is because there's stretching going on. It, it, and God is saying, well done, because you're not only having faith, but you're doing something about it. Am I just waiting passively for things to happen that I should be doing? If you go through that list, it's one after another of people very much like you and me, but the difference is they just act upon what they've heard. So it says, by faith, Noah built an ark. It doesn't say, by faith, Noah lifted his hands and verily an ark came out of heaven. He built. He had to cut down wood. He had to do something. And when he did what God had called him to do, then God was able to save them. By faith, Abraham left his country and obeyed and went, and he didn't know where he was going. Moses refused the riches of Egypt. In fact, by faith, he left Egypt. Israel, when they came to cross the River Jordan, they had to put their foot out, it says. And by faith, they walked across. It's interesting, us British people, if we'd been there, it would have been very interesting. You know, here's the miracle, the sea opens... But that's not the end of the story. And as a kind English gentleman, I would have really kicked in and said to someone, after you. Please, after you. <laughs> what do you as a family like to come through as well? And I'd have given them a, a real few yards as I looked to see, is this safe? <laughs> you see, by faith, they had to step out and cross over. 
By faith, the Jericho walls fell down. Whatever God has said, there needs to be faith and then there needs to be action. King's Church, even if you've toiled all night and you feel tired and you think, when on earth is this promise going to come to pass? It's important to keep in faith, put down your nets again, still finding creative ways. Lord, how can we reach this community? For you guys who've gone to West Lothian, some of you are kind of, you're there now. And we're meeting more regularly and got a nice meeting place. And you're still thinking, how on earth are we going to reach these people, some of whom are very different from us? How are we going to reach them? God's going to give you creative ways. As you step out in faith, he will anoint and give favor to the things that you are called to do. Finally, the end of the story in verse 6 and verse 7 reminds us of a miraculous God who suddenly can come and do the impossible. This is a remarkable story, and no wonder it ends up with Simon Peter falling on his knees, overwhelmed, gushing forth with, Lord, what can I do? This is amazing. It it, it probably was the, the very miracle that the fishermen needed. We joked earlier about their fishermen and professionals. These guys knew that this was a miracle. Do you understand? Because they knew there were no fish and then there's this massive supply, they were overwhelmed. I was thinking during the interpretation of the the tongue that was sung earlier of this, when that that interpretation was coming, just gushing forth, the the anoint, you know, just the, the, the perfume, the anointing, the fragrance, giving all to Jesus, everything. That's where they landed because suddenly God came and worked this amazing miracle. Notice that their nets were breaking and their boats were virtually sinking under the weight of the amount of fish that they caught. It's interesting for us that in the book of Acts, the word suddenly comes more than any other book in the Bible. And why is that relevant to us? Well, we're living... In the age of the Spirit, since the day of Pentecost, we're still living in that season. You know, we don't have to wait anymore because the Spirit has been poured out. And why that's interesting to us, I think we should expect sudden miracles from God more than we do. Just like the early church, where people lived very mundane lives, they were just like you and me, no different. But maybe, just maybe, One thing that did mark them out is they seem to me to be on the edge of their, lifting up their toes on the edge of their seats and thinking, maybe today the catch will come. Maybe, just maybe today, the miracle will break through. Because they saw sudden miracles happening in their lives. We need to believe God that he can do miraculous things beyond us. Faith, action, miracles. Now, I'm in danger, as I bring this sermon to a close, of losing some of you at this particular moment. Saying, well, I can get the faith bit. I do believe that action's important, but the miracle end of things is not my normal area of expertise. (laughs) Well, it isn't, because you're not the one that does the miracle. That's the point. You get to the point of, Lord, we've done everything, and I can't do any more, and God says, now you watch. You just watch what I can do. For many Christians in the West, our great danger right now, and churches, 
is this that we're experiencing right now today of Christianity, we think is as good as it gets. This is normal Christianity. Some of us who've come from a long background are even prone to say church is much better than it used to be. We've gone through a lot of battles and things, ha- and, and you'll be absolutely right, things have gone in the right direction and there's life and there's community and God's doing amazing things and there's freedom and there's liberty and we've come out of formality and, 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 and it's just better than it used to be. But even then some of us can be prone to cynicism. But we've got here... And probably this is about as much as we can possibly expect. I want to finish this word this morning by saying to you, this is not it. This is not the end of the story. This isn't Christianity. We've got it all buttoned up. This isn't church. We know how it goes. It is better than it used to be. And there's a great danger for us in the West to have the same old, same old and get satisfied with it. I believe God is saying, come again. Put down your nets again. And maybe some of us in our lifetime will experience miracles like it won't be two or three people responding at an Alpha course. But it'll be a hundred and two hundred. Because that's the God that we serve who can do what we cannot do, the one who can work miracles. Maybe I'm a bit of a, a sad father, but when I was reading my kids' stories before they went to bed at night. I mean, I did, you know, all the normal stuff that that we all do with our kids and all the books that we read, and now I read them to my grandkids, and and it's everything. But I'm kind of sad because halfway through all this, I would read to my children as going to bed stories of revival. He said, the little kids, about five or six years old, go to sleep, and I'm talking about the Welsh revival. (laughs) So please let me go to sleep. Ah, why did I read... Bedtime stories about revival to my children. Here's the answer. I didn't want them to believe that what we are now experiencing is the final picture because it isn't. And I wanted to get them to lift their heads and see there is something way beyond what we're experiencing. There's something miraculous beyond where we are. When I read this passage in Luke chapter 5, it's just a little hint of the miraculous revival power that God can bring. Scotland has experienced these things before. Here's the great thing for us. Do we believe he can do it again? Or are we just going to settle with our two or three on Alpha courses? I don't despise that. You know, let's thank God for every single wonderful thing he does. We don't deserve any of it, actually. We certainly don't deserve revival. But God can do it, and he can do it here, and he can do it now in 2017. We have a God who can say, if you put your nets down, you can catch a multitude. And he's waiting for us. We can't make that happen. It has to be him, but he wants the people who are leaning towards him and saying, yes, Lord, I believe. In China, right now, 2017, is the biggest revival that's going on that this world has ever, ever known. Estimated 10,000 Chinese people becoming Christians every single day. Networks of churches that have 10, 15, 20 million people and they're not even the biggest ones. And while we're sitting here this morning having our little meeting, that's all going on right now. 
I mean, it's extraordinary. Wow. I thought I was in Scotland. <laughs> it's amazing. Right now. God can do it again. As I, as I look at the, the mess of our nation, in the last few weeks, the news has just been about greed and immorality and right at the very heart of government and just a constant street. I think, this, this, what does this nation need? You know, at the moment, it seems, the only thing lightening our load is the latest Christmas, Christmas adverts from vying companies to get us. Now, that'll give you a bit. It doesn't really give you much of a lift. I think we need something more than that. I think we need a God who can suddenly break through. Should we stand? Let's just close our eyes for a moment. I just want to say to everybody who's here this morning, who's a regular at King's, for everybody at the six o'clock, just want to say God can do way beyond that which we can even imagine, dream of, ask for. Lord, I pray for every member of this church community, some of whom are tired because we have toiled all night and caught very little. And you're saying to us, go and do it again, small group again, work with children again, youth again, Another Alpha course, again in the same place. God's saying, put down your nets. There's going to come a day when there's going to be a huge catch. Get ready, mend them, wash them. Get, get ready for what's going to happen. I thank you, Lord, that, well, we've got two boats now rather than one. I pray, fill them. And fill them with unchurched people that have no idea about you, but are going to find you. Pack this place out. First net in the morning, second net in the evening, just almost a sinking point. I pray it in Jesus' name because I know that's on your heart what you can do. We're not special. And, 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 and then we just say, do it in every church. In, in Edinburgh, do it in every place. Bring revival, we pray, Lord Jesus. I pray for you guys from West Lothian. So grateful that you're here this morning. Let God put something in your heart that burns. There's going to be a lot more toiling. There's going to be a lot more fishing all night. And some of you are going to come back and we're going to say, how did it go? You say, well, two people turned up. Not much happened. Believe God. Trust him. He's a miraculous working God. He can bring you suddenness. Guys from Inverness with going through difficulties and wondering what the future holds, maybe there's some words in this passage for you. Hang on in there. Keep mending those nets, waiting. Is God going to give you a great catch? So Lord, this morning we come to you. And uh, it may have started about me. Grateful that you broke into my life, but I sure want it to end all about you. And we want churches that are not about me, 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 but all about you yes. and glorifying you and lifting you high. Yes.
because we wouldn't even be in this story if it wasn't for you. We ask it together in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.